my name is Rob Edwards and this is my podcast. Welcome back one and all, uh, another episode, another chapter of Written Blood and Silver coming up really soon. A uh, bit excited about this one, uh, we had a shorter episode last time, but this time we get a, a treatise on magic and how it works in the world of Written Blood and Silver, and we introduce another important character to Matt's world. Before we do that, though, uh, as ever, a little bit of Inklings news. Uh, The anthology Tales from the Underground continues. We are editing away on it. We've got about two-thirds of the stories edited. uh, So that is getting closer and closer uh, with every day. Uh, I'm still not willing to put a timescale on when it'll be out, but it's coming. It is on its way. Uh, Possibly more exciting uh, is that we have... Uh, another new paperback out. Uh, and although I've been hinting that we get Tales from the Universe out for some time now, we've actually gone with Tales from Alternate Earths uh, for two really important reasons. And those are both nominations for Sidewise Awards. A Sidewise Awards, big premiere um, alternate history fiction uh, awards. Uh, and two of our stories within Tales from Alternate Earths have been nominated. Treasure Fleet uh, by Daniel Benson and Twilight of the Mesozoic Moon by Brent A. Harris and Ricardo Victoria. And I am super proud to have a story alongside theirs uh, within the anthology Tales from Alternate Earths uh, with those two nominated stories uh, that you can read as well. So, if you've not read Tales from Alternate Earths, Please go pick up a copy. You can buy it now on Kindle format or on paperback. Uh, And you can read those two nominated stories uh, and uh, half a dozen more, uh, including my story, uh, Stargazing on Oxford Street. Uh, So go out and get yourself a copy of Tales from Alternate Earths. Enough news. Time to get on with the actual episode uh, for today. Uh, And this episode, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, is... Uh, an opportunity to talk a little bit about what magic is in the world of Writ in Blood and Silver. Previously on Writ in Blood and Silver. Dun 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 That was the worst yet. Matt Chambers, a computer programmer in London 1999, has been spending the last few weeks trying to ignore the fact that he now knows that demons stalk the London underground. And dodging the two people who introduced him to this... Arthur Wessex, a cursed wizard, and Broden, a resurrected warlord from Atlantis. Unfortunately, magic has now knocked on Matt's door, and as he's trying on a fancy dress costume, accidentally blows up his bathroom mirror. And now the continuation. Chapter 6. Wisdom of the Camel Another shard fell from the mirror into the bathroom sink. It shattered. Matt stared at the fragments of himself. One end of the false beard came astray again, and he stared at his reflection in the shards for a moment longer, beard askew. No, he said. No, no, no. I know what this means. Wessex was bloody right. Damn! He ripped off the false beard and shucked out of the ridiculous cloak. Small mirror shards scattered everywhere, but that was a problem for later. For now... He needed to get out of the house. He pulled his jacket on and slammed the front door closed behind him. Having done that, though, he wasn't sure where he was going. So he just walked. And as he did, he began to process what he had felt. 
There was no denying he had not touched the mirror, but something he had done had caused it to break. He remembered a rush of something, an energy building inside him and flowing out through his hands, a strange, almost euphoric sensation that had flitted through his head before what he had done had really sunk in. It had felt... Well, it had felt almost exactly unlike the headaches the men in red caused. Was he imagining that connection? No way to say for sure. Did it change anything? It still didn't mean he was as important as Wessex claimed, but it clearly did mean something. No tricks or sleight of hand. There was a genuine thing here he couldn't explain. Matt focused in on his surroundings again, and found his random wandering had led him to the tube station. Somehow that was not a surprise, and somehow neither was the presence of Wessex, standing patiently by the ticket barrier, smiling sadly at Matt. The truth, Wessex said, and Matt knew the rest of the quote, will come only when he has destroyed himself. Matt saw the fractured images of himself again, staring from the mirror shards in the sink, you really did know that tonight was going to happen, didn't you? Wessex nodded. Reborn and renewed, the seeker must be made ready. Yes. Well, I'm still not sure about that. Hey, hang on, where's Broden? Are you all right to be out here on your own? Frustration flitted across Wessex's face. Reborn and renewed, the seeker must be made ready, he said again, and beckoned Matt to follow him to the platform. Is it... Look, I'm sorry. It's just that I've been trying to avoid the tube. Is it safe? Wessex gave a short shake of his head and beckoned Matt on again. Well, that's not helpful. Wessex, can you promise me something? Wessex glanced at his watch, then back at the platform before nodding. I just... Look, I want to know. This is my life. It's changing. I don't see a way back from this. I can't help but look at the world differently now, and I'm not sure I like it. But after Dave, can you promise me, my friends, what's happening to me? Can you promise it won't hurt them? Can you promise it won't hurt Kate? Wessex opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. He looked pained. He shook his head as though trying to clear it, then opened his mouth to speak once more. His shoulders slumped. And then, in a quiet, resigned voice, he simply repeated, The seeker must be made ready. Matt nodded. I guess there's my answer. This stinks, Wessex, and it feels like it's your fault, even though I know it isn't. Not really. I'll come, don't worry. But I want you to know, this stinks. Wessex nodded, his eyes sad. They sat in silence as the tube took them back into the city again. Wessex's hands never stopped moving, his fingers twisting in complex patterns as he moved his hands together and apart. Matt remembered the first time he'd seen Wessex doing this, thinking it looked like Wessex was playing cat's cradle but without the string. Now, though, Matt could almost see a hint, a glimmer, of something between Wessex's hands. Whether because of Wessex or in spite of him, there was no sign of Volnark's minions. There was a brief moment when there was a flash of red as they changed at bank for the northern line, but it was a false alarm. 
They left the train at Elephant and Castle, and Wessex led them to the stairs rather than the lift. Slowly they wound their way up to ground level, Wessex stopping several times to catch his breath. They emerged at a big roundabout, busy with traffic even this late in the evening. Matt looked around. Why have you brought us here, of all places? I thought we were going to your lab to make me ready. Why is that shopping centre pink? Not waiting for the lights, Wessex shooed Matt across the dual carriageway. They dodged buses and headed for a smaller side street. There, in the middle of a row of boarded-up shops, was a rather dilapidated pub, a faded sign showing the picture of a camel standing in front of a tall tower. Inside the pub was dark, quiet, and smelled slightly unpleasant, damp in the walls, Matt guessed. There were no customers, as far as Matt could see, and the barman sat behind the bar, dozing in a chair, feet up, a half-eaten packet of pork scratchings resting on his ample stomach. Wessex walked to the bar and tapped the service bell. It gave a dull, thunk noise. The barman didn't open his eyes. We got no bottle beers, no cocktails, no soft drinks, and the Guinness is off. You might want to try the Prince of Wales. The seeker must be made ready, said Wessex. Crap, said the barman. He opened his eyes and stared at Wessex before finally shifting his gaze to Matt. He don't look like much, although he's had a bit of a brush already, I see. Well, that'll help. Come on, if we're doing this. Might as well do it with alcohol. Usual for you, Arthur. What's the seeker want? The barman stood, scattering pork scratchings on the floor. As he did, he moved his left hand in a very precise motion, and the pub seemed to ripple around them. The room grew brighter, and a fire leapt to life in the fireplace. The smell faded a little, and suddenly the taps behind the bar gleamed and seemed to double in quantity. The whole place took on a much more welcoming air. Matt stared. Good, isn't it? Always wanted me own boozer growing up. Finally got the money together for it and found I liked owning a pub, but not so much having customers. I'll keep it on as a nice quiet place to kip and for entertaining you celebrity types. Name's Pete. Pete Allen. What'll it be? Uh, the Guinness is actually off as it goes. Pete poured them all drinks and motioned them across to a table. Carefully, he slid the bolt on the front door. Don't want to spoil the ambulance and all that, he said, then joined them. It's a nice place you have, Pete, said Matt, and sipped his beer. Mmm, and you pull a good pint. Thanks very much. Be obliged if you don't tell your friends. So, has himself found a way to tell you why you're here? You were expecting me? Expecting, dreading... Open? Yeah. Not necessarily tonight, but it was only a matter of time, I suppose. I seen the signs, felt them. The northern line passes right under here, and every now and then you can't get help but a flash of it. Might even be what's wrong with the Guinness, come to think of it. Pete took a long draught from his own beer. Look, I'm not smart like Arthur, nor as strong as you look to be. My magic is really all a few... Glamours and tricks. Useful stuff, no denying, but not about to set the world on fire. But I'm a better teacher than Arthur can be for you right now. And as for Broden... He's not here, I see. I appreciate the consideration, Arthur. As for Broden, 
Him and I don't entirely get along, and, well, I suppose that makes no odds to you as it goes. But even so, his way of looking at magic is too old. Too old? asked Matt. But surely magic is old. I mean, wizards and demons and all that Lord of the Rings stuff. It's all Middle Ages sort of thing. Although I guess if what Broden said is true, he's even older than that. Now you don't understand. And if I'm going to teach you anything, you need to understand this. It's kind of fundamental. Magic is changeable, adaptable. Its very nature is to fit around what's happening in the world. Sometimes it's loud, sometimes it's quiet. Middle Ages, granted, very loud. But as science has been doing its thing, magic's never really stopped doing its. It's always been subtle, sneaky. It breaks your actual laws of physics, always has. So it's well used to getting away with stuff it shouldn't. It's about what you see, about what you expect. Paul Daniels, you, you know Paul Daniels. Um, what? Yes, yes, of course. The stage magician. I used to watch him on TV. Not a lot, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, Paul's one of us. The fact that he's known as a stage magician makes it easy for him to slip in a little real magic now and again, just to keep the flame alive, so to speak. Matt snorted. What, really? Oh, yeah. Mind, he needn't have bothered. Said magic was loud in the Middle Ages. Well, it's getting louder again. Books, computer games, TV shows, dungeons and bloody dragons. Magic is coming back big time. I said it's about expecting stuff to work. The more magic is in the what's-it, the, uh, the zeitgeist, the more possible it is for a practitioner to work. And that's the thing. To really take advantage of what magic is now, you have to be of the time. Reckon that back in his day, Mr. Broden was stronger than all of us in this room put together. But at your strength, if we can find a ways for you to tap into magic as it is now, well, you're going to put him in the shade. Arthur got up, went to the bar and poured himself another drink. He stayed there, facing away from them. Now, I've made a deal with magic, finished Pete, ignoring the distraction. i found my way to get it to work. What we need to do for you is to find your way before it's too late. Now, you've done a little magic recently. I can see it on you. How'd you get it to work? It was an accident, really. My girlfriend's got me this wizard costume for a fancy dress party. I was staring at myself in the mirror, waved my hand a bit, and, well, zap. Hmm, said Pete, and took another long sip. Wait, you said I had to find my way to get a magic. Are you telling me that I'm going to have to wear a dressing gown or fake beard for it to work? Ha! <laughs> no, God, imagine that, Pete laughed. No, that was an accidental random firing thing. More like a flash in the pan than actual... Cooking. We need to get you cooking, or chefing, if we can. Well, that's a relief, I guess. The beard itches. So, how do we find my way? Is there a list of things to try? Not quite. It's different for everyone. It's more about who you are. Mr. Broden's all about that sword of his. Arthur, he's about the, the science of magic, so his manifests through his lab, and alchemy, and even spells. But it doesn't have to be. There's a lass over in Ealing who does magic with sex. But we're all a bit embarrassed to talk about her. Me, as you see, my magic is all about beer.
Matt looked at his empty glass. Perhaps mine is too. I made this one disappear. Ha! You're a funny one here, Arthur. I like him. Get him another, and me too while you're over there. Now, we can't just jump into cooking with you, but it doesn't mean we can't make an omelette or two first to get you a grounding. First thing we need to do is give you an understanding of the basics. Break a few eggs. Then we can add some cheese and... You know what, forget the cooking metaphor, it's not helping anymore. First, we need to get you to perceive magic. you got some of that already, I can tell. But you need to do it a bit more unconscious. Relax, the beer will help with that. But best not to have too much. We don't want the seeker having to be sozzled for this to work. Relax and watch. Pete began with a few simple tricks moving glasses about the room, dimming the lights and juggling small flickering flames. He continued each new trick until Matt could see a little of the energy being used for it. The more Matt concentrated on what was happening, the less he saw of it, and he soon saw that Pete had the right of it. The less he focused, the more he saw. It was like looking at a magic eye picture. He had to kind of look through it. After an hour or so, it was becoming more reliable, almost, but not quite, instinctive. Pete juggled his lights one-handed as he took yet another drink. You're a quick study seeker, that's good. It's like what I saw before when the men in red were stealing energy from the people on the tube. The same kind of heat haze. The men in red? Oh, the Abadak, yeah. Everyone has a little magic in them, and the Abadak suck it out and send it on to their master. Tends to make people grumpy as a rule. They suddenly feel less in themselves and aren't sure why. Matt nodded, remembering. Yeah, it gave me a splitting headache too. I can tell you I was glad when I figured out how to stop that. Pete's balls of light all exploded simultaneously. You did what? I, well, when I realised what the man in red was doing, or what it seemed like he was doing. You have to understand I wasn't really understanding any of this then. I don't know, I just sort of said no, and it stopped. Wessex and Pete were both staring at him. Pete was clearly astonished, but Wessex looked odd. There was a strange light in his eyes, an intensity Matt had never seen before. Pete put his glass down and stood up, leaning forward and over. He extended one hand towards Matt. Show me! he demanded. His earlier good humour vanished in a blink. Suddenly, Matt's head throbbed, and the same heat haze he'd been watching all night enveloped him and swirled around Pete. Matt felt almost physically dragged from his chair as energy flowed from him to Pete. But Pete put a hand on Matt's chest and forced him back down. Show me! Pete demanded again. Stop, said Matt, trying to remember what he'd done to the man in red. Stop! he shouted, trying to recapture that moment of desperation, to picture it and how it had worked. The swirl of energy ebbed to a trickle. Pete loomed over him, his features grim. The room seemed to dim around them until all Matt could see was Pete and the flow of energy between them. He felt Pete again begin to pull stronger, and Matt tried harder to resist. Matt's heart Pete pounded in his ears, his headache tightened to a point of agony between his eyes. The trickle became a stream, but not the flood of before. Not bad, said Pete, and the room began to brighten again. 
The flow of energy didn't stop, however, and Matt's head still hurt. No, not bad. Matt glanced across at Wessex, but the older man sat, with his shoulders slumped, lost in thought again. I don't quite understand what all this is about, said Matt. Well, you've heard the prophecy, Seeker. The stolen power will change everything and all that. Me and Mr. Broden, one of the many things we disagree on is what it means. Every practitioner leaks magic. We just do. It's part of being connected. We draw energy in, we let energy go. Perfectly normal, nothing to be alarmed about, very rarely stained your clothes. In a magical battle, not that I've been in many, but I've had the occasional scuffle. In a magical battle, your opponent can sometimes be a good source of magical power. So one thing you have to learn is how to reduce the amount you are you're leaking in moments of stress. I think the prophecy is about not letting Volnok steal your power. Matt's head was still hurting. Pete was still drawing energy from him. Oh, right. Look, point made. Can you stop now? Point made. The flow of energy ceased, and Matt's headache vanished immediately. Thanks. Pete was staring again, and Wessex's head shot up. What? asked Matt. I didn't stop, said Pete in a quiet voice. I didn't stop. And again the room grew dark. And again, Pete's ample form seemed to loom over Matt, and energy flowed around Pete. But not the tiniest spark was coming from Matt. What? asked Matt again nervously. Nobody can do that, Seeker. Nobody completely shields themselves. Magic goes in, magic goes out. That's how it works. You can reduce it, sure, if you're careful. But nobody can shut themselves off like that. What have you done? How have you done it? I don't know, answered Matt. And he didn't. No, forget that. Doesn't matter. What matters is that nobody else knows. Nobody. You don't tell them. You don't show them. You only use it as a last resort. I'm kind of sorry that me and Wessex know. Tell nobody. Nobody. This is too important, Seeker. I don't know how or why. But you can do something that I've never heard of anyone doing. And that's always powerful. Could it save your life someday? Yeah, I think it could. But not if people know you can do it. So not a word. Matt nodded. Pete grinned at him. Good. Right. Well, we've broken one egg with some pretty damn spectacular results. Let's get another egg for the frying pan, eh? Do or do not, there is no fry, said Matt. And suddenly, for no reason he could say, he felt he was in the right place. This was where he should be. I thought we'd abandoned the cooking metaphor. Never mind. Show me the next thing. And that's it for another chapter of Written Blood and Silver. Uh, join us next time for chapter 7... Uh, I know Kung Fu. I'm... Can you hear that? I'm doing air quotes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I've gone completely mad. Uh, yeah, so next time uh, is uh, I know Kung Fu. We see the other half uh, of Matt's training regimen uh, where Broden has to take a hand in training Matt how to fight. 
Anyway, thank you as ever for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that, and I will catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye.